Well, if you got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 20. I know everybody in this room has seen the Rocky movies. Um, if uh, you saw the first one, uh, you got the beginning of the story, Rocky Balboa, um, and, uh, and he's a fighter. I mean, this guy's what he does. I mean, he, he just is a boxer from way back, the Italian stallion, right? And, and, and then, you know, Rocky II, uh, Rocky I ends, he, he fights uh, Apollo Creed. Rocky II, um, again, uh, Apollo Creed. Um, Rocky Three, Clubber Lang. Rocky Four, the Russian. Rocky Five, Tommy Gunn. And then you have all the Creeds and you have all the movies. But it seems like every time a sequel comes out, every time another movie comes out, it's very, very predictable. You know he's going to fight, right? I mean, even when he was training Tommy Gunn in, in five, you knew he was going to beat him up at the end. And not only do you know he's going to fight, you know he's, he's going to win. I mean, he's going to win. It's very predictable. Watching one Rocky movie to the next. Now, they're great. I mean, they are. If a, sequ- if a, 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 a marathon comes on, my boys watch Rocky. We love the Rocky movies. But, but, but here's the deal. Every one of those, it's the same thing. The names just change, right? Well, Abraham and Sarah, chapter 20, it's the same thing, and the names don't change, all right? So Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is by far the most influential, important person in the Bible except for Jesus, bar none. There is not another man that's mentioned as many times as Abraham. This is the father of God's chosen people. And all throughout the book of Genesis, you see his name. This, there are chapter after chapter after chapter that is, that, that's designated just to tell Abraham's story. Now, what's cool about this, they give us every, every aspect of the story. They, they share the good, they share the bad, um, and it just seems like you, it, one follows up the next. Now, chapter 21, I'm going to give you the spoiler. Uh, Sunday morning, Isaac born so that's what we're talking about the promised son is going to be here Sunday morning all right but they just blow it in chapter 20 and and it's just like it's the same story different season of life and uh, different place if if you remember several chapters ago uh, God told Abram and Sarai prior to the covenant he said I need you to get up leave your people leave your family leave your land and go to where I tell you to and just follow you just follow me and I'll lead you and and he ends up in Egypt do you remember what Abram did when he got to Egypt he was looking at his wife she was 75 at the time she was he was looking at his wife and says man when they see you in Egypt wow they're going to want you pharaoh is going to want you and so do something do me a favor so they don't kill me because they want you you tell you tell everyone that you're my sister and so um so she says that's a good idea and she tells everyone that she is his sister and uh, pharaoh sees her and brings her into his uh, palace um marries her and makes her part of his, uh, his wives, his harem. And, uh, and God protects the promise. He uh, brings uh, Sarai back to Abraham. Well, we, it, we're going gonna to read chapter 20. You're like, this, I've already read this before. Um, well, look, it, you, you, you haven't. 
it's a, it's a sequel. It's Rocky, the, it's Rocky 2 right here. It's Abraham 2 right here is the sequel. So look at verse 1, chapter 20. It said, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and, uh, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and he stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is um, my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech uh, had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? He's saying, I'm innocent in this deal. Um, I'm going by their word. And, and she even said herself that, uh, she, that he is my brother. And in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream. So, so Abimelech is sleeping and God comes to him supernaturally in a dream. And he says to him, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld uh, you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, there's some cool stuff right there. Um, God is in the details of our lives, right? Um, here's Abimelech. Um, he's, he's innocent in this. He's going by what he was told. Um, let's think about Father Abraham, right? This is a guy who, uh, in the book of Hebrews, in the chapter 11, it talks about that, um, that he was a righteous man. This is the guy that God chose to be the father of his children. This is the guy that God gave the promise to. This is the guy. This guy loves God, and yet he's a bonehead. Does this sound familiar? All you and I have to do is look in the mirror, Right? Uh, we love God, we're in covenant relationship with God, but yet in our life we make one bonehead decision after another. And that's why I love the Bible, because God gives us in his word everything. He shows us the whole picture. But here's Abimelech. Abimelech, Abimelech does not love God. He is a pagan king in a pay, over a pagan nation, and he sees Sarah. Now, Pharaoh saw Sarah... At 75. And he's like, wow. And he said, bring her to me. Abimelech saw Sarah at 90. And he said, whoa, bring her to me. So look, I don't know about Sarah, but she got it going on, all right? She's 90, and uh, she's still turning heads at 90, all right? Um, and so, uh, so when they get into town, Abraham says, listen, tell them you're my sister, and she does. Both of them lied, and Abimelech, God is involved in the details of this story. Even in the dream, uh, Abimelech tells the Lord, I was upright, I didn't touch her. But it, 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 he said, I know you didn't touch her because I wouldn't allow you to. I'm the one who held her from you. And so then, then verse 7, it says, Now therefore, because of that, because uh, she lied, he lied, because you made her your wife, because she's not your wife, you haven't consummated that marriage relationship, therefore, because of that, restore the man's wife. For he is a prophet. I want you to underline, circle that word. Very first time in the whole Bible, that word prophet is used. Um, we've seen priests used. Talking about Melchizedek, uh, 
Um, he was a priest before Aaron uh, was a priest. But a prophet, who's, what's a prophet do? A prophet is the one who speaks on behalf of God. He's the mouthpiece for God. And so in this, um, God tells Abimelech, take this lady back to her husband because her husband is my mouthpiece. And you got to imagine what Abimelech is thinking. How, if I were God, I would have chosen a different mouthpiece, right? I mean, this guy with his mouth lied to me. Um, this guy is a prophet, and yet he gave his wife to me. And he said, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, and uh, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. You know what he did? He set his alarm. <laughs> uh, this was big stuff, right? And so he didn't say, hey, I'm just going to get up when the sun comes up. He didn't say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that middle of the day. Uh, like Lot had done Sunday when we had talked about Lot and the destruction coming upon Sodom. Abimelech took God's word seriously and he set his alarm and he got up and told all of these things in their hearing. He called all of his servants together, told them all these things in his hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not, be, ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, look at this. This is really the whole gist of this story. Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, he says, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father but not the daughter of my mother. So she, he said, she, she's my half-sister. Um, and she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is, uh, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then, I, uh, then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Then she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech his wife, his female servants, then they bore children. Okay, so God made all of the ladies in the kingdom of Gerar barren until he made them like Sarah until Abimelech brought Sarah back to Abraham. And it says in the last, uh, last verse, verse 18, and the Lord... Uh, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So, look, I, I want us to 
um, to, to walk through this um, rather swiftly tonight. Um, just to be honest, this is like watching a train wreck, uh, reading chapter 20, but so was chapter 19, amen? Uh, 19 was, it was a wreck. Uh, Abraham gives his wife away um, for the second time, and, and the reason for this was to protect himself. Um, it it kind of resembles what Lot was willing to do with his daughters. And so he, here we have Abraham, here we have Lot. Both of them uh, are, are spoken of in the New Testament as righteous men, and yet both of them were willing to not protect the ladies in their life. Abraham twice with Sarah, and Lot with his two daughters when the men of Sodom came uh, looking for the angels uh, remember what Lot said, take my daughters. It's unfathomable for us to even imagine that. Um, Abraham is on the move again in verse 1. He's moving. He's going from place to place. But the difference here is God didn't tell him to move. Um, Abraham is moving, um, and, and God had not told him to go. And uh, so, so this entire season of their life is begun by Abraham and Sarah both making poor decisions. But this is par for the course. I mean, you you remember Abraham uh, had done this already in Egypt, but Sarah had done something like this already too. Remember, they'd been promised the son. The son didn't come. Ten years later, uh, Sarah says, Listen, Hagar is my slave. Um, Take Hagar to be your wife. And Hagar becomes pregnant with Abraham's son, Ishmael. And so Abraham has encouraged his wife to commit adultery with Pharaoh and now with Abimelech. And also Sarah had encouraged uh, Abraham to commit adultery as well. And so both of these people um, are, um, are making poor, poor decisions. Now watch this. Abimelech is not a believer. And he's the one in the story that seems to be the one who has good character. The one who's making good decisions. And then this kind of kind of rattles us sometimes because we think us as Christians, we're the ones who make good decisions, and those who are lost are the ones who make poor decisions. But I, I, I can tell you this um, that just because someone does not have Christ in their life doesn't mean that they don't live a high moral life with high moral standards. There, there are people outside of this room tonight who will never claim the name of Christ as their Savior, who live a higher moral to a higher moral standard than some in this room will. Good people. I'm talking about do good and uh, are upright and don't cheat and they don't bear false ones. They don't lie. They, uh, they, they do what they say they're going to do. They can be trusted. They're dependable. Um, they're, uh, there are people out there who make and live uh, to a high moral standard. Um, think about this. Here's a lost man, Abimelech, and all of his nation. His first... Um, his first dealings with a believer. He's been lied to by both of them. He only knows two believers in his life, Abraham and Sarah, and both of them have lied to him. What kind of witness have they been to this lost king? Um, It's challenging, really, to us when we think about our own life 
what kind of witness are we to the world who oftentimes, some, some of the world, we, we, we look at the world and say, man, the, the, the world does this, 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 and this, or, or these people do this, or caught up in this sin, this sin, and this sin. But, but much of our community is filled with moral, good, lost people. And then the witness of the church to them is much like Abraham and Sarah's witness to Abimelech. That's exactly why those people will say to you, I'm not going to go down to that church. Why? It's the first hypocrites in the Bible right here, right? I'm not going to go down. There's hypocrites down there. What is a hypocrite? Someone who says they're going to do something and does something completely different. And so, so, so that's what Abraham and Sarah have done, to, and, and their witness of God to Abimelech is terrible. It's horrible. Um, what's cool about this, and, and from God's perspective, is God shows us his attributes in this story. First of all, he's all-knowing. Um, he, nobody knows what goes on in the palace behind closed doors except God knew. Um, God knew exactly what Abimelech had done and not done behind closed doors in his own bedroom. Now, don't you think about that for a minute. God knows exactly what you and I do and nobody else knows. But God is all-knowing, and he knows even the things that we think we can hide from everybody else, you can't hide it from him. And so Abimelech said, I haven't been with her. God said, well, I know you haven't. I already know that. Uh, what else? He, is, uh, he shows up in a supernatural way. He, gives, he, he shows up in a dream, and not only that, he intervenes. He says, I've, I've protected you from her. Um, I, I'm the one who has, I know you feel like it's been restraint. I know you're the one who feels like you have withheld, but the reason that you have not consummated this marriage is because of me. I'm the reason I have held that back. Now watch this. He's sovereign. Um, he is in control. God is the one that is in control of this story, which is, is, is really fascinating to think about, that God is above it. He's in front of it. God is the one who is in control. What, what else do we hear or see in the story about God? He's good, ain't he? Um, in, in this, we just see God pouring grace on top of grace. He, he begins it with Abimelech, um, who is not his, um, who... Uh, is not one of his children, his people, his followers, and yet he is good even to Abimelech, um, and he blesses. In fact, he tells him, he says, hey, listen, um, I was going to kill you and wipe out all of your people, um, but I have restrained my judgment um, uh, from that. And so, um, so th this, is, uh, this should change how we live our life. What? God's all-knowing. God is supernatural. He intervenes in the affairs of men. He's sovereign and he's good even when we're not good. God's good. And just those four things should change how you and I interact and live on this earth um, desiring to please uh, our Lord. Here's the second thing I want you to think about. The main reason behind this bonehead decision was in verse 11. Let me read it to you one more time. Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God, it's not in there. Y'all don't fear God. You don't care about him. You don't keep um, his, uh, his laws. 
um, and, uh, and, and they're going to kill me on account of my wife. And so what is the undercurrent of Abraham's decision? Fear. He's scared to death. He's scared to death that when he came into Gerar um, that, that, uh, that they were going to kill him. Now, here's a, a great question that we ought to ask. Why the heck did he go? God didn't tell him to go. This is not a move God told him to make. He leaves where he was uh, because, uh, because he just got unsettled. Because he thought it was time to go. And in his own logic, he felt that it was a good season for him to move. And when he shows up, he's crippled with fear. And that fear then produces um, him to make some really unwise and unhealthy decisions. I want you to, to write this down. Fear will always move you into an unhealthy season where you will um, make unwise decisions. If you are crippled by fear, when that is prolonged, you will, if you make major decisions in that season of fear, you will make unwise decisions. And, um, and fear will lead to worry and anxiety and stress. And uh, what's crazy about this um, Abraham has an entire army of people, 318 fighting men several chapters ago. Um, and, and guess what? By the way, they're undefeated. They've had one battle, they wore them out. So you talk about this guy has finely trained men, 318 of them. He could have gone in with authority, and yet he comes in and he's scared to death. He has every reason to walk around with his chest poked out, but yet he walks in and he's, he is crippled by fear because he walks into this nation and he's not in control. Christian, you, you and I, when we're not in control, we can allow fear to cripple us when we're not the one that's behind the wheel of our life we're not the one that's steering we're not the ones calling the shots we can be crippled by fear when you and I have to depend on someone else for that decision what is the opposite of fear you either live in fear or you live in faith faith is allowing God to take control Fear or faith is allowing God to be the one who calls the shots, the one who steers the wheel, the one who points you, leads you, directs you, protects you. He was Rambo a couple of chapters ago to keep the Rocky uh, Sylvester Stallone theme going tonight. And yet here he is, crippled in fear, afraid of losing his life. And what's crazy is that his greatest fear was losing his life, not losing his wife and at this time Abraham is 99 years old he's 99 years old and he is crippled by fear of dying I mean look a banana peel could take him out right I mean 99 years old you you trip something happens 
I mean, the littlest thing, a cold, the common cough could knock him out. And he goes into Gerar and his greatest fear. He is gripped and crippled by fear, and that fear is to die. And fearful people become selfish people. I hope you're writing some of this stuff down. Fearful people become selfish people. Abraham become very, became very selfish because of his fear. He wasn't concerned with his uh, wife and, and protecting her. He now became concerned with his own protection um, and his own life. Fearful people become false prophets. Now, God calls him a prophet, um, but a, a false prophet is one who speaks false truths. Um, he said, they're, they're going to kill me there. Um, he, he, he began trying to predict the future based upon um, the fear that gripped his heart. Fearful people begin making inner vows. When we, we become afraid, we make inner vows. We, typically, you can, you can tell what they are by a couple of words. We use always and never to communicate those inner vows. Some, something happens in our life that just shakes us, grips us with fear. We don't know the future. We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand the circumstances. Something's taking place, and it's gripped us in fear, and it's hard to see tomorrow and trust God for the future. It, and, and we become selfish, and, and we begin uh, false prophesying over our future that uh, we're going to die, bad things are going to happen, I can't believe this. And then we start making vows, inner vows, saying, listen, I will never put myself in a place like that again to be hurt, um, to, uh, to, uh, I won't ever put my heart out there to love again. I, we start making inner vows. We say always and never, and inner vows that, are passed to our spouse and our children become generational curses. I, I, I really do. I, I hope you're jotting these down because inner vows are in every family. My mama made an inner vow. It's a silly inner vow. Um, and I've shared this with you before, and we've talked about inner vows. My mama was raised really poor. My grandfather was an alcoholic. They lived in uh, Western uh, Tennessee and Dyersburg, Tennessee. Um, my grandfather worked for the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, he built bridges. He got a quarter a day uh, for building uh, bridges and uh, worked a 40-hour week. And uh, one Christmas, my mom said that her and her brother got a set of jacks. Jacks and a little rubber ball uh, for Christmas. Her brother got the ball and she got the jacks. It really promoted siblings getting together, right? I mean, you had to get together to play. You, you, know, you bring the jacks, I'll bring the ball, right? And so that's what they got for Christmas. And so my mama, she didn't even know it. She made an inner vow. My kids will never have a Christmas where they get little things or wonder you know, why didn't they get what the neighbors got? Or, and so my mom, I'm telling you, Christmas was big to her. And she would fill our dining room with Christmas gifts. And, and, and she just went all out. She went crazy at Christmas. She, she said, I grew up poor and my kids will not, they will have um, what I want them to have. They will have what they want to have. And she spoiled us. She did. It was an inner vow that she made. But, but watch this, inner vows that are passed to our spouse and our children become generational curses. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. I'll never feel pain like that again. So you never trust, you never love, 
You drink until you're numb. And those inner vows, in order to not feel pain like that again, are passed down to the ones that are raised in our home. They see how mom handles fear and, and it's passed down to them. And mom took a pill to numb the pain. Dad uh, took a pill or dad did whatever to numb the pain and, and it's passed down. And inner vows that are passed down become generational curses. And watch this, those are hard to break. Alcoholism is difficult to break. God broke that generational curse in my family, in my life. Um, I, I, I'll tell you a lot. I didn't come from a long line of preachers. I didn't even come from a long line of Christians. There's not many of them in my family. I came from a long line of alcoholics, bunches of them on both sides of the family. Poor decisions. Um, uh, just, just really... Um, difficult situations where abuse was there when uh, someone would drink and uh, the stories that my mom would tell about being raised in that home, um, how she had to care for her father when he would get drunk and be abusive to siblings and even her mom. And, uh, and man, it's just, it, it ends up getting passed down to generation to generation. And, and even as a young kid, um, I began to drink. And when I gave my life to Christ at 17, that was a curse that Christ broke in my life. And, um, and I'm grateful, but those generational curses that start from inner vows way down the line, um, though they're difficult. They're difficult to break. And so here's Abraham, and you say, well, well it was, was this passed down? It was. Sunday we're going to talk about Isaac. Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah. They're both elderly. Um, and, uh, and, and don't go read ahead, but in Genesis chapter 26, you know what Isaac did? He told his wife to tell someone that she was his sister. And, uh, and the same thing gets repeated in Isaac's life. Uh, an inner vow because of fear. Uh, I don't want to die. And I'll do anything to, keep, to protect myself. Um, and, and, and it's passed down generationally um, to, their, to their son. The last thing I want you to see, um, the, probably the coolest part of the whole story. God doesn't have to, but God chooses to pour his grace out on our fear. When fear cripples us, when fear leads us to make poor decisions, seasons of fear... Uh, lead to poor decisions when those poor decisions make us selfish and um, false prophets speaking false things over our future when that fear uh, turns to inner vows um, God has a way of pouring his grace out on it and, and and it does and he does that starting in verse 14 and through the end of the chapter so um, what does Abraham deserve Abraham deserves to die. Abimelech was the one that God said, hey, listen, I'm going to wipe you out and all the people unless you'd send Sarah back. Abraham was the one who deserved that punishment, but God poured his grace out on Abraham and Sarah. And in verse 14, he said, Abimelech, this is what I need you to do. Go and, and take them things. And so he brings them. He brings them sheep. Um, he brings them livestock. He brings... Uh, male and female servants, um, 
and he, he gave uh, he gave all of that to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, and uh, and Abimelech even gave a thousand pieces of silver, um, and so God poured His grace out on Abraham and Sarah's blunders, but it's exactly what He has done in our life, isn't it? In all of our sin, you know what you and I deserve? Hell. We don't just deserve to die. We deserve to die forever. Jesus went to the cross to die for us so that he could be the one that held, was the dam that held back God's wrath from all of us. See, we deserve hell. We deserve to die. Yet Jesus took the wrath of God and our judgment upon himself, and he died on the cross. And instead of us getting what we deserve, God poured his grace out on us. God forgives us. God uh, loves us even though we're not lovely. God loves us even though we don't love him at times. God uh, restores us. God, God restores years that those unwise decisions have eaten away at our life and our family and God can restore that in a moment in an instant when he saves you generation after generation he can break a curse and he can restore all of the years that sin has eaten your life and your family up he he loves he forgives he restores and he pours his blessings out and he gives us what we don't deserve so here's a question just for you and I to think about tonight what have you allowed fear to rob you of in your life what have you allowed fear you're not in control um, or you're not walking by faith in your life and so you're fearful you're fearful of the future you're fearful of your health you're fearful of uh, marriage you're fearful of your children you're a helicopter parent you're fearful you're afraid that your children are going to do this or that this is going to happen or or this is going to happen in the future and so you you do everything you can to protect to set up boundaries to keep uh, to to really build fences around everybody that you love and all that is is fear because you realize you're not in control and all of those fences are opportunities for you to control a situation. So what is fear robbing you of in your walk with Jesus? What's the bow our heads together tonight? If you know Christ tonight, I want you just to ask this question. God, is there something in my life that I'm not trusting you with? My marriage, my children, my livelihood, my finances. God, what is it in my life that I'm holding on to in order to control? My future, am I doing everything I can to secure a future that I'm not in control of? God, what is it that I haven't hand over to you because I have to be in control of it, and it's a fearful thing. God, is there something in my life that I haven't given you complete control over? Listen, when God shows it to you tonight, this is what I want you to do. I want you to let it go. 
I, I want you to let it go and see how God will bless. I want you to let it go and see how God will pour his grace out on it. You can't even imagine the thing that you're the most fearful of, the thing that causes you the most anxiety when you hand it to King Jesus. He pours his grace out on that, and, and he blesses it beyond what you could ever imagine when he's the one that's in control of it. You say, but Pastor, you don't understand. My, my kids are doing this. My kids are, you're still not in control of them. If you'll let go and surrender them to Jesus, you'll be amazed what God can do when you get out of the way. I wonder tonight how many of you in this room, you don't even have a relationship with him. Listen, God wants to take all of your blunders, all of your sins, all of your bad decisions, and he wants to pour his grace out on those. He wants to begin a relationship with you. And so tonight, if that's you tonight, listen, I, I don't want you to leave without visiting with one of us. Don't get in your car. Don't head home without talking. God's just moving in big ways around here. And we want, we want to make sure that you know that you have a relationship with him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Thank you for your word, how it's true how it speaks into our life, how it was written and lived out so many years ago, and yet it's as fresh as, as something that happens today. And God, we're grateful for that. The same struggles, those aren't new struggles. They're the same that we struggle with today. And God, we're, we're so grateful, Lord, that, uh, that you pour grace out on, on our blunders. God, I pray, Father, that we'd be a people who walk by faith and not live by fear. We ask it in Jesus' name.